Welcome to The Movement with your host, Shannon D. Hughes. In your life, do you celebrate the downfalls along with the peaks? You should. These define you as the person you are and help you learn your way to personal success. Now, here is the host of The Movement, Shannon D. Hughes. There are 210 days left in 2019. If you haven't started your movement by now, then you will after this interview. I am your host, Shannon D. Hughes, and you are once again part of the movement. Heard every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific here on the Influencers Channel here on Voice America. And again, you can listen to the replays on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Play as well. We talk about the movements in people's lives, the ups and downs, and we share stories that connect the human spirit. But movement is the key word because my guest today started a movement a long time ago, and I bet she didn't even know it. So back in April, I had a show. It was my anniversary show, um, and my guest on the, on the show, she talked about she was a big fan of professional wrestling. I took her to task because I have known her for a few years, and she never mentioned this to me, but I am a big wrestling market then and now and forever. I've always been a big professional wrestling fan. And back in April, the WWE uh, headlined their, their signature event, WrestleMania, uh, with the women's first ever women's main event. And it, it, it starred three of the biggest women in professional wrestling today. That is Becky Lynch, who is the current WWE Raw champion, Charlotte Flair, who's the most accomplished wrestler and eight-time women's champion, and Ronda Rousey from the world of the UFC. But before the women have reached this plateau today, back when I grew up in my 80s, so I'm dating myself now, I grew up and there were not, there was women wrestling, but there were more valets back then, or they were called valets. There were four prominent ones in my youth. One was called Precious, and she was with gorgeous Jimmy Garvin, that was her husband. Missy Hyatt, who was with Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert. Elizabeth, who was with WWE Hall of Famer and legend Randy Macho Man Savage. And then there was this lady. This woman was a wrestler under the name of Andrea the Lady Giant. And then she morphed into my childhood crush, Baby Doll, the perfect 10. And she was with wrestling icons such as the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, Tully Blanchard, Gino Hernandez, the warlord, Larry Sabisco, and 16-time world heavyweight champion, Nature Boy, Ric Flair, she has transcended the sport. I have loved what she's done. She has been kind enough to give me an hour of her time today. I want to bring her in right now. Nicola Roblesberg, a.k.a. Baby Doll, the Perfect Ten. Welcome to the movement. How are you? Well, thank you for having me. This is, this is going to be fun. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So now you are called Baby Doll, the Perfect Ten. I want to talk about you during your baby formative years. This is what we like to do on the movement. So can you tell the audience about where you were born, where you grew up, and what was your family like, family life like as a child, please? I had probably one of the most unique childhoods ever. Both of my parents were professional wrestlers, and whenever they met and fell in love, they um, moved to Lubbock, Texas, and bought the promotion from uh, then-promoter Sled Allen. And my dad promoted Lubbock for over 20 years. We ran every Wednesday night. For about 18, 19 of those years, and then we switched over to Fridays. But um, every Wednesday night, we had wrestling at the Fair Park Coliseum. So I got to see my dad every Saturday afternoon interviewing the wrestlers for the, the Wednesday night shows. We also set up, we did all the postering of the town. We did the advertisements. 
it was it wasn't just Wednesday night. We worked every single day, and whenever I got old enough, I was I would answer the phone and tell people what time wrestling was going to be on on Saturday afternoons, and then if they had to get they were going to make reservations. I would hand it off to my mom because I wasn't old enough to write. And then right. once I got old enough to write down, you know, like their names and I got to like make reservations for people. And then as soon as I could carry four folding chairs, I became part of the ring crew and sold programs and t-shirts and any concession items and helped set up the ring. And it was, um, it was quite a childhood. It really was. Wow. And then, so let me let me okay, ask you if you don't mind. Let me ask you if you don't mind. Um, so you like sometimes as kids, I have friends that were brought up in the church, and a lot of them would tell me, "Oh, I hated going to church. My mom and dad would get me up in the morning and to make me go to church, and I'd sit there and like, oh, I can't wait to get out of here." So let me kind of pose this question to you. You know, because wrestling was a part of your blood and your family, was it? a chore for you to go and do this? Did they say you have to go do it? Or were you excited about doing the task to help your mom and dad with the professional wrestling business? Well, number one, it wouldn't have been a choice. We had to do it because it right. was family business. <laughs> right. There but you go. I loved it. I absolutely adored wrestling. In fact, whenever um, we got a chance to have cable TV come to Lubbock, I was calling every month to Cox Cable to find out when my neighborhood had been uh, wired up so that I could get Georgia Championship Wrestling at 6.05. And my parents would always walk by and go, why are you watching wrestling? And it was just like, I loved it. And it, I didn't have an answer for them because it was just <laughs> something that I, even if they weren't wrestlers, I, I would have still loved wrestling. I, I liked the characters. I liked the storyline. I loved everything about it. I was so blessed to be put into a family that let me live out my dream. What was it like for you, uh, baby doll, when you were coming up? Um, being, you know, you talked about the, the the work that you were doing as a youngster. So what was it like going into the locker rooms and just being around the wrestlers? What was that like? Was it a family thing? Was it just a business thing? What, what was it like that, as a kid that's going one thing, that's, that's one thing that we were not allowed to do. Okay, we I got could you. Um, back then the the term kayfabe was actually yeah, like yes. the law of the land in, in our family, and mm-hmm. what we would do is like we would get to the shows, um, like if we had a show at, at Fair Park, we had to be set up by one o'clock in the afternoon. We mm-hmm. had like a case of beer that we would put in each dressing room. We had to ice that down. Then we had to pop popcorn. We had to make sure that uh, all the Seats were numbered. We had to go. There were 640 ringside seats, so we had to, like, individually number the chairs on the floor with, with chalk. Um, we sold tickets. We, we had to have the concession set up and the ice, and everything had to be set up. The, the wrestling part, if we were really good, and every once in a while, Dad would take us to the back, and we could, like, shake hands with everybody that was outside of the dressing room, but by no means did we actually go into the dressing room. That was a big no-no. We just did not do that. And we're going to talk about kayfabe later in this interview today because I want to get to You kind of touched on it, but I want to talk about that later in this interview. So your and dad was he, also a referee as well, correct? I'm sorry? Your dad was also a referee. He was He was a referee, correct? 
Right. Um, my dad wrestled, and then when he got older, um, mm-hmm. the Von Erichs, uh, Fritz would bring him in for, like, the big shows as a representative mm-hmm. of, like, Lubbock and, like, the West Texas Territory. And that way, on, like, the big shows, like, other promoters would be able to uh, cash in on, like, a good payoff also. Got it. Got it. Baby Doll, the Perfect Ten, is my guest here on The Movement. Now, you're down in Texas. Now, I am in Chicago. Um, Chicago is pretty, has a pretty rich tradition here in, in Chicago. I mean, we love our wrestling here. But just from me listening to other people, and I'm sure you'll be able to articulate this for me, tell me what it was like being a wrestling fan in Texas. How big is wrestling in Texas? Well, there were like three promotions set up. There was like the Funks in Amarillo. Well, actually, there were four. There was the Funks in Amarillo. You had mm-hmm. Dallas with the Von Erichs. You had Joe Blanchard in San Antonio. And you had Paul Bosch in Houston. And okay. I would also put Gory Guerrero in El Paso in there. So actually, there wow. were five major families just in the wow. state of Texas. Wow. All legends, every name you named, I, I, I didn't recognize every name of that. That is just awesome. Um, so let's let's come forward a little bit. So now, talk about, you said you were watching wrestling. Well, so who were some of your favorites before we talk about you trekking into wrestling? What, what were some of your favorites that you watched on television when you were coming up as a child? There... I couldn't even start to name them all because every, (laughs) it seemed like every three or four months, something new was going to happen and new angles and new storylines and new guys came in because back then there was actually territories and guys would work maybe six to nine months in an area. And then they pack up their family and move somewhere else and start a storyline somewhere else. So we always had new talent coming in and new people to meet. And it was, um, if you paid attention, it was really cool to watch. Wow, that is amazing. So I want you to, to talk to me about when you decided, you know what, I want to step through those ropes as a performer. What was, is that a conversation that you had with your parents or was it just something that you jumped in on? Can you talk about that a little bit? I, I can. I was actually going to school at Texas Tech University. I, was, um, I had about two weeks left for um, EMT training. I I was wanting to go into EMT and then go into being a paramedic and then going to um, be a ski patrol up in Colorado was kind of what I was having in my mind when I was like in my early 20s. I really liked to go snow skiing. I really liked the idea of saving people and I thought it would be really glamorous like skiing around and helping people. So that, that was my goal at the time. Well, I heard, overheard my parents talking about Gino Hernandez and that they were looking for a girl to work with him because he had the feud going with Stella Mae French and that at that time the guys just didn't put their hands on girls at all and that they were looking for a girl kind of for that spot so that Gino could have the heat and still not have to actually touch Stella. Well, I got it in my mind of like, wow, this would be a great idea for me to do because I had a huge crush on Gino, had had a huge crush on Gino for like years. Mm-hmm. And so I actually stole my dad's black book that had all the wrestling numbers in it and took it to a boyfriend's house and used his phone to call the Dallas office. And it was just by chance that David Manning picked up on the phone and I explained to him like, hey, I overheard that you guys are maybe looking for a girl for Gino and 
how about me? I'm pretty and I'm smart and maybe you could use me. And he was, he said that they were just getting ready to have a meeting with Fritz, that it was perfect timing, that wow. let him run it by, by Fritz, and then he'd give me a call back. Sure, okay. So I waited about 45 minutes later, I guess he called me back. He said, Fritz loved the idea. <laughs> Fritz was all for it. And that to get ready to come down, except for there was one problem. They said, who's going to tell your dad? Oh. Um, um, well, I guess I said, well, I'm going to have to, I said, because this is my job and this is what I want to do. And I, I'll go ahead and do it. So I had to like pretty much put my big girl panties on for sure that day and go in front of my parents <laughs> and tell them that I was quitting college and mm-hmm. moving to Dallas and going to become a professional wrestler and work with Gino. Yeah, that didn't go over so well, but <laughs> I mean, I, I was like 22, I guess, at the time, and, you know, mm-hmm. it was time to go, and I'm sure it wasn't the dream that they had for me, but I, I think I, I followed through pretty well. well. Let me ask, were you surprised that, of their response because here you are a child kind of of the business. You grew up, mom and dad did this, you answered phones, you sold this, you did that, you put up the ring, you go to college, now you tell mom and dad, you know, I'm going to be a professional wrestler and they kind of were not happy about it. Were you surprised by their response? No, it was totally everything I expected was going to happen, happened because back Mm. then there were girl wrestlers, there weren't really valets. And at the time, Sunshine was uh, an anomaly. I mean, there wasn't anyone like her. And she had had some addiction problems and some things going on with her life. And they had, she had actually gone to rehab whenever they brought Stella May in to kind of cover for her during that time that she was gone. Uh And it just wasn't, it wasn't what a proper young lady was going to do. And so I, I kind of bucked the system and, and that was one of the things that I always tried to uphold my standards was I never wanted to do anything that would shame my family or that someone would call my dad and go, guess what your daughter's doing? You really need to find, you need to know what she's doing. So I knew I could do that. It was just whether everybody else was going to let me do that. I agree. Um, so what or if made them change their mind once you follow through? Was there a conversation? Was it, Did something happen where they said, okay, we'll let you do it or we'll support you? Did something, was there a conversation or did something happen for it to finally follow through to let you go and pursue your dream? Oh, I, I don't think that they ever fully gave me their blessing because it was always okay. like they, they knew they knew how bad it was and they knew how dangerous a, a job it was and that if I was going to be really good at it, I was really putting myself in peril because mm-hmm. nobody was going to look out for me except for me. Right. Um, I think maybe whenever I went to Crockett and the, like the first Great American Bash and they kind of saw like the crowds that I was working in front of and the money I was making and the money I was sending back to them because I bought my mom like a dishwasher and flew them Mm -hmm. out to see me and different things like that. So I I had really had a a little bit of success at that time. Um, I think whenever I went home and my mom had gone to LNH drugstore there in Lubbock and had 
started buying wrestling magazines that I was in and had put a couple of my pictures on the wall mm-hmm. that I figured, okay, yeah, they kind of approve at that point. But it, <laughs> it took a while. It was probably at least a year. Okay. So that's what they say in the term of the business, getting over. I guess you got over with your parents at, at this point, right? They never really said it, but when your mom has posters of you on the wall and, and that she's taped up, that, yeah, that's kind of her, her way of saying she approved. Okay, so let's, let's, let's talk about, um, I wanted to talk about Gino a little bit later, but you brought him up. Um, now, okay. I saw Gino for a couple of years when I, when I started watching wrestling, and that guy, and I heard you say this on another interview on the Busted Open show on uh, Sirius XM, that Gino had, Gino, there's only a few people, in my opinion, that I've, since I've been watching, that the minute you see them and the minute they start talking, you say they've got it. Like, you just know that, that whether they're a heel or a face in wrestling, that they have it. Um, the Rock was one of them. The minute I saw The Rock and he started talking, I said, that guy's got it. When I saw Rick Rude and he started talking in that physique, I said, that guy's got it. Gino Hernandez falls in that category. And he just had the look. He had the swagger. He had, he could speak. He was very good in the ring. I think he gets overlooked because, unfortunately, of his untimely death. And, you know, he died when he was really young. He gets overlooked. So I have a kind of a two-part question to ask you. What was it like starting to work for somebody that you that you had a kind of a crush on you and you idolize? And what was it like you know, being out there with him and going down the aisle with him and being out there. Well, well, talk, talk to me about that. I think working with Gino was probably the best thing I, I could have ever done because he made it like a business. It wasn't something fun to do, and it wasn't like, hey, you know, this is all jokes and laughs. It really seriously was a business, and that what I did meant something, and Throughout it all, I mean, between Tully and Gino, I, I really learned a lot on how to carry myself and that people didn't pay to see normal people. They paid to see someone that was better than them, that had yes. more charisma than they did, that mm-hmm. they're not going to pay to see just a normal person. They're going to pay someone, pay to see someone that they really hate and that they're going to hate you so much that they're going to buy that ticket before they leave the building because they want to see you get beat up or get annihilated. And it was kind of hard for me to comprehend at first, but then I caught on because I was really good at it. Mm-hmm. And and it made it easy to work with him because everybody kind of hated Gino, and then they hated me because I was with Gino. So it, it worked out. It really did. It was yeah. perfect. What was funny, how, how, let me tell you uh, how I first saw you, if you don't mind. Um, here in Chicago, there was a show, it was called Smash, and it was actually hosted by a lady. Her name was Honeybee, and she would show 30 minutes every night, on, and on Fridays, there'd be an hour, the territories, like you were talking about earlier. So you see World Class and AWA and NWA and all of that. And one of the, one of the f- first times I saw you was with Gino. And I have to tell you my first impression of you, and, I, and you're probably going to make fun of me, but I'm sorry. I, it, it was, I, saw you, I saw you walk out with him, and, and I listed the four valets that were prominent in my youth. And when I saw you, I'm like, okay, she doesn't look like Elizabeth. She doesn't look like Missy Hyatt. She doesn't look like Precious and Sunshine. She doesn't look like these people. She's tall and 
she's got broad shoulders and she can wear a pair of jeans and she she's a good looking woman but she does she's not built like them and i was a little fearful of you i'm like because she looked like she could take out some guys like if if anybody stepped to her the wrong way she could probably knock knock them into the middle of next week so let me ask you a question when you first were walking out with gino where you know how they did hate was toward gino did they were the fan reaction towards you kind of like oh my god she looked like she could like i don't know if this was just my my impression of you like she looked like she can handle herself like she looked like she could knock me out of my chair like what was the reaction how, how did you how did you take that when you were walking out with him that was the whole th- that's what they wanted because i was gino's bodyguard so mm-hmm. that was the whole thing of what they wanted me to look like so I, I did what they wanted me to, so that's, that's good. I mean, that's a good thing. It's not the best part for the girly girl part of me. I'm like, oh, yeah, no guy wants to talk to me because they think I'm going to beat the crap out of them. And the guys that do want do want to talk to me want to be the crap beat out of them, and those are the guys I don't want to be around anyway because they're kind of creepy. But um, it, it, it was fun, and it was intimidating, and... You know, to walk down the aisle, like, especially in world class, it was better because the people were more afraid of me and the security was better. Well, on the other hand, with Crockett, we had very little security, and Tully and I basically had to fight our way to and from the ring a lot of times because the the people did take advantage of that a lot. But um, in world class, it was better because I had that reputation that, you know, I beat somebody up. They they didn't quite manhandle me as bad as they did in Crockett. <laughs> Baby Doll the Perfect <laughs> is my guest here on the movement here on the Influencers Channel. We got about four minutes until the break. So let me ask you one more question about Gino. I have not seen the Viceland special about his life yet, so I can't really comment on it. The one snippet that I heard, though, was from his mother saying how she was so... Um, nervous for her life because she was asking questions about his mysterious death. Um, talk t- for a few minutes. Can you talk to me about when you learned of his death and how that affected you? Um, I learned it back back then. We didn't have cell phones. We didn't have internet. It was mostly you got that fall that phone call at like three or four o'clock in the morning that you knew that something bad had happened. I can't really remember who called me at that time. I think it was my dad that had called and told me that they had found Gino dead, and that mm-hmm. even then they were suspecting foul play for the amount of cocaine that was supposedly found in his body. Um, I do know this, that whenever I worked with Gino, he did have a total different, you know, he had, he had his wrestling side, but then once he left the building and he was, he, he was, he was just someone totally different. He didn't, he, he ran around with some, with people who had a lot of money and, mm-hmm. um, and, and it was just a total different world and he kept me completely oblivious to that. I only made one road trip with him the whole time we worked together. Mm. Um, otherwise, he, he was by himself. He had a red Corvette, so he he went to the shows by himself. He left by himself. Um, I'm glad that his mother had the closure. Uh, I guess at the end, the, the one guy had called him and said that uh, it wasn't foul play and that she was safe. I would mm-hmm. really like to one day meet her. 
and yes. tell her that, that Gina was a really, really good guy because in the position where I was at, because I had such a huge crush on him, he really could have taken advantage of a really young girl right. and and really messed me up, but he didn't. I mean, he, t- he treated me totally with respect, and we had a complete working relationship. He had a girlfriend at the time that was um, going to school there in Dallas, and um, I just would really like to tell her that he... And, and she probably already knows this, but just from someone that she didn't know, that he he really was a gentleman. And in his own way, you know, he took care of me, but he didn't take advantage of me, and he could have. And that's saying a lot for someone in the business that we're in. In that business, especially with being a male-dominant business, and like you said, just one of a, probably a few women, women walking around there, to hear that, that actually... That actually makes me smile because that you you're absolutely right. You're basically a baby at that at that baby doll, but you are a baby at, at, in this industry, and that industry can be unforgiving. I've I've heard wrestlers on many of you saying how unforgiving it can be, and at that time, you it really could have it really could have taken you down a path that you may not have come back from. So I'm really glad to hear you say that about him. That guy was so underrated and extreme ultra talented. I I I just wish we could have seen the Gino Hernandez that could have been. Hall of Fame type material. That guy was absolutely fantastic. I am talking with Nicola Robertsburg, aka Baby Doll, the Perfect Ten, here on Voice America and the Movement. You can be it can be heard every Wednesday at two p.m. Eastern, eleven a.m. Pacific. Uh, Baby Doll, we are going to go to a quick break, but when we come back, I want to get your thoughts on some of the other legends you have worked with: Dusty Rhodes, Tully Blanchard, Ric Flair. Warlord, Larry Zabisco, some of the angles. I want to talk about the Tully angle uh, as well. Um, with the And I want to talk about kayfabe a little bit because that's getting out of hand. I would love to hear your thoughts on where the women's movement in wrestling is as of today here in 2019. So we will come back with my guest, Nicola Roberts, work, a.k.a. Baby Doll, the Perfect Ten, here on The Movement right after this. Trying to find a buyer for your home? Tired of paying fees and commissions? Need to get out of your home quickly with no fuss? Real market experts can help. Get a cash offer on your home today. Our nationwide network of investors will ensure you receive the best price for your home in Chicago and the Chicagoland area. Get started now. Call 1-800-SELL-NOW or 708-887-0795. You can also visit our website at realmarketexperts.com slash IL. Is your credit card processor for your business charging you high processing rates? Do you need an upgrade of your current credit card processing terminal and would like it for free? Let North American Bank Card lower those processing rates and qualify you for a free brand new credit card processing terminal. Call Shannon for a free statement analysis, 708-887-0795 or email Shannon at sdhughesenterprises at gmail.com. If your life needs some structure and direction, you may need a life coach. Interested? Contact Shannon at sdhughesenterprises at gmail.com for a free 30-minute consultation.
You are listening to The Movement. To reach the show today, please call in to 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. If you'd rather send an email or if you are looking to be a sponsor for The Movement, contact the show via email to Shannon at ShannonDHughes-TheMovement.com. That's Shannon at ShannonDHughes-TheMovement.com. We'd love to hear from you. Welcome back to the movement again. It can be heard every Wednesday here on Voice America Influencers Channel at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific. Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play is where you can hear us as well. If you want to email comments or questions for the show, please email me, Shannon at Shannon D. Hughes. That's the movement.com. Shannon at Shannon D. Hughes. That's the movement.com. We are continuing this fantastic interview with Baby Doll, the Perfect Ten here on the movement and I was uh, saying I wanted to talk about some things on the other side of the break but I have one more Gino Hernandez question and I, again I caught this on an interview that you were down, doing on Busted Open with Dave LaGreca and you were saying how Gino w- could have been poised to be a member of the Horsemen can you talk about that a little bit well I think the question was, was uh, that was posed to me was that if I could see anyone else being a horseman that was okay. at the time of, of the deal. And gotcha. I thought that Dino Hernandez would have been like a perfect fit because not yes. only could he have done like singles work, but then he could have worked with Tully and then he could have done the eight mans. He would have fit in no matter what spot that they would have wanted him to be in that he could have fit. And then eventually if they wanted to turn baby face, he would have been the perfect baby face to go against Tolly. So it would have worked a complete 360 circle no matter what they would have done with him because he, he could do a promo like nobody else. You know, he, he, yes. he did a promo just, just as good as, as, as anybody. His work rate was, was top. And then being like a territorial wrestler to bring him in with Crockett, not so many people knew him. So it would be like a brand new Gino just to, to give to everyone. So it would have been good no matter how they did it. I agree 110%. God rest his soul. And, and I hope I get the chance to watch that Viceland special. I, I'm, I'm told how good it is. They've done oh, so. It's, it's really, really, really good. And the, okay, the so, Viceland one was very good too. Yes. And I'm going to, and actually, you know what? Can we start there? Um, I heard Kevin Von Erich, who came on probably a couple of weeks after you, and I and he talked a little bit. And you were down in Texas, so you can speak to this better than me. Talk about the phenomenon of the Von Erich family. Oh my lord! Um, <laughs> number one, if Kerry were still alive, um, and that he actually helped me throw the discus to where I broke my school record, my high school school record. Wow! They were just really super super good guys. They would come into Lubbock, and I would take them to the gym. And I, it was funny because Kevin still ribs me today about because I would I love to play racquetball, but I couldn't find anyone good enough to play me and and be competitive. So they come in and I try and play with them. Well, I beat Kevin all the time, and Kevin to this day <laughs> still says that he 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 can't believe that I I beat him at racquetball and and still kind of gives me a hard time about that, but I was really, really competitive. <laughs> the, the kids were great. I mean, they were all American kids. They had these beautiful bodies. They had beautiful souls. They were so good to their fans. 
And I remember one time, and I told Carrie's daughter this one time, that Carrie was kind of standing in back, and this little girl ran by, and he called her back. He said, come back here, come back here. And he stood there, and the girl's hair was messed up because she'd been running around with the boys and, you know, doing like what, and she was probably like maybe 10, 11 years old. Mm-hmm. And he brushed his hair for her. Because he what? was kind of standing there brushing his hair, and he, he, he let the little girl stand in front of him, and he very gently brushed her hair out. That's oh, what kind goodness. of guys they were, that they were just so sweet and just so nice. And the phenomenon was, was I liked it because whenever they introduced the wrestlers and had the guys in the ring, the fans could come up with their programs or their pictures and their sharpies, and the guys would autograph them. And then right. when the when the match got ready to start, then the referee would have the fans back up, and and the match would you know he'd ring the bell, and the match would start. That's so missing from today. The the wrestlers today are so untouchable unless you go to like a WrestleCon or a WrestleMania mm-hmm. All Access, or just happen to see them at the hotel or or something. That shoot, you're paying a hundred dollars to see somebody, and that's not really fair, I don't think. And that's what's I really agree. missing is that is that yes, they're superstars, and and yes, you know, you could you're kind of supposed to have kind of that standoffish arms distance from them. But it wasn't like that during that time. It was like that you got to see them at the convenience stores and you got to see them, you know, at the airports and at the hotels and, and they'd mm-hmm. stop and sign autographs. And now, unless somebody's chunking down 25, 30 bucks, they're not going to sign anything. And that's really not fair to the fans. I agree. And, 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 and tickets are hard to come by and they're expensive as, enough as it is. Now you're going to plop down another 50 to 100 to go to an autograph signing. You can barely get a photo op with them or shake their hand. It's, it's, it's kind of rough because I remember in the world class days, you were there. They, there used to be a string as the barrier. There'd be a string around the, around the ring and that's all that would hold them back. I remember when Carrie used to come down the ringside and women would be kissing them. I'm like, you can't do that now. It's like back then it was raw and it was just, that was their natural emotion. It's, you cannot do that anymore. But the, the Von Erics were just, and I think, with, and I, I'm sure you would agree with this, when I just kept hearing them pass away. So I started watching wrestling shortly after David passed. So, you know, even I knew who the Von Erics was, but I really wasn't emotionally, you know, but I knew who he was. And then, you know, you hear about Carrie, and I'm like, oh, my, and Mike, and I'm like, oh, my God. And Carrie, to me, could have been, if this guy, like, you know, the WWF at that time was probably the bigger promotion, just if they they called him the Texas Tornado when he went there. But he could have been, just, he had the look. I mean, that guy had a, God, a, a godlike body. He, he just had it all. He was very good in the ring. That guy could have been as big as they came in the business. But to just to hear you tell that story is just, I mean, the Von Erichs were everything. God, there's got to be a movie about their life. I would just love to see it. It it was very, very sad. And, and I think just with the addiction and just so much put on them and the expectation yes. of just being, of being who they were and the expectations of their dad, that was their demise, and and I can't fault Fritz with it because he only wanted the best for his boys, right? And that it, it just went too far, and it and I think it went too far, and he wasn't able to pull it back. Oh, that's sad to hear. Baby doll, the perfect ten is my guest here on the movement here on Voice America's Influencers Channel. All right, so I want to run down some of these legends you've worked with, my friend. So let's talk about Tully. Um, 
Tully, you know, there's that one angle, and I know you know what I'm talking about. Um, Tully was, and Tully was, when I watched the horseman, t- like when me and my friends grew up, I would have been Tully. I was a small little runt that could run his mouth. And Tully was a small little runt that could run his mouth, but he was a good wrestler. He was a great wrestler. He was good on the mic. Talk to me what it was like working with Tully. Wow. Um, it, it, it just happened. Uh, it, oh, gosh, where do I start? I had only two days left with World Class. I had Christmas Day and the day after in Florida. And then I had no more wrestling days. That was it. I was going to have to go back to Texas and figure out what I was going to do. Well, whenever I was in Florida, I happened to talk to Dusty and Tolly and just told them, you know, I was looking for somewhere to go and maybe they could use me. And it was just the perfect timing because they were actually looking for a girl to work with Tully. They were running a contest for a perfect 10. Mm. And whenever I walked out to do my match with Stella May, they were both standing on the outside of their respective dressing room doors. They were just standing there. So I was like, okay. So I had my match and I looked back and they were both standing there. And when I knew that Dusty was standing there and Tully was standing there, I knew I captured their attention long enough. Mm-hmm. that I had it. I had got I had gotten it and in my mind I don't know why I thought that was that if they weren't there I didn't have the job. But if right. they were still there I had the job. Well sure enough okay. they asked me to come to, to North Carolina and um I stayed actually with Tully for a couple of months there in his apartment and so everybody thought we were a couple and we were like inseparable and mm-hmm. we did all the trips together and it it just from day one it clicked. Because I gave something to, for Tully to talk about. And yes, he called me a perfect 10. And by looking at me, I'm not a perfect 10. And that was a perfect thing. I'm like, well, who does she think she is? <laughs> and that was part of the gist of like, Tully brought me in here because there aren't any women around here. He had to actually ship someone in here because y'all aren't good enough for him. So that <laughs> got heat. And it just, it gave something for everybody to talk to. Uh, and talk about, and it just, it clicked. And for a little over, or right out a year, we were the hottest thing going. And yes. people hated us. Oh, my God, they hated oh us. Oh, my goodness, yes. And, and to actually have, have someone come up that that doesn't even know you and want to fight you because they don't like <laughs> you, that's, like, really heat. That's real heat. That's heat. That's exactly who it was. It's so, so, so hard to get it in this PG era nowadays now. But I believe, and please correct me if I'm wrong, baby doll, but I believe it was Tully was the one that put his hands on you in that shoot. Is that correct? It was Tully, correct? Well, actually, Dusty hit me first. Dusty slapped okay. me um, right. one time, and it, it was, I can't remember if we were actually going to do it or just it happened, and mm-hmm. we were like, oh, shoot, what's going to happen now? Because that could have gone horribly wrong. Right. If, if, Dusty, if Dusty smacked me, and then everybody goes, well, why is he hitting the woman for Right. But it didn't. They hated me so much that they wanted they wanted Tully to act, or Dusty to actually pummel me, and mm. and you can see Dusty like looking like, oh God, are they gonna? Am I gonna have to turn heel right now? <coughs> but it didn't work out that way. It popped, and everybody just went super crazy over it. Yes. And then the other time was when they were gonna have me go with Dusty. The they were actually gonna planning on for me to go with Buddy Landell. 
but Landell twisted off on cocaine or something, and we didn't see right. him for like two weeks, so that scratched that idea. Well, they had to do something with me, so that's when they did the deal where they put J.J. with Tully, and then Tully smacked me, and Dusty came out and saved me, and that just went, that was 100%. I remember. Awesome. Oh my God! And you know you cannot do that nowadays. It it just would not go over well. But back then it was it, because you had heat on you, and Tully was one of the more hated heels in the business. Um, that was uh, that guy. That was that was. I was all into that that storyline. And I actually want to bring up. You just brought up Buddy Landell. I know we, I wasn't planning on bringing him up, but Jim Cornette was on the interview on Busted Open again, and he actually said something about Buddy Landell. And I don't know if you're aware of this or not. I just want to run this past you. He said that the the idea when he was in uh, Crockett Promotions that Buddy Landell was actually supposed to be a horseman instead of Tully, but because of what you just said, he had his issues where he would disappear and have all this other stuff that they couldn't trust him to do it, and Tully wound up getting the spot. I don't know if you're aware of that, but Jim Cornette brought that up, and I found that variation and, and with him. He was kind of like Gino. He had the look. He could talk. He could wrestle. Buddy Landell, I actually think, is one of the more underappreciated talents in the history of the business. See, I couldn't see Buddy being part of the horseman because Buddy was more of a singles wrestler. Right. And it kind of already established, like, Tully and Arn had worked together so well, and Tully and Flair... Flair traveled with us for like six months. Mm-hmm. So I really couldn't see Buddy ever know whether they offered him the spot or were thinking about it. That would have been a big mistake, I think. Okay, I got you. It just would have been you. the same. That, that would have been very interesting. Um, Dusty Rhodes, we just talked about him. Um, Again, you know the business. I, in my mind, I think he's one of the greatest minds in the history of the business. Um, and my Mush Rushmore, he's he's on he's up there because not only was he one of the best in ring performers um, on the mic, Dusty Rhodes could talk until the cows come home, and you'd believe every word he said. But just his concepts that he came up with, I guess he came up with the War Games, he came up with the Crockett Cup, and all of this other stuff. Now you see his sons off starting their own company. What was it like working with the American Dream Dusty Rhodes? Well, everyone puts over Flair, like how popular Flair is in the Carolinas and how over Flair was. Right. Dusty was up there equal with Flair. Because uh, I, I traveled with Dusty for, what, six months. Mm. And it, it was phenomenal. Dusty knew everybody. Everybody came up to Dusty, and, and Dusty may not have been the most... Um, cordial to everyone because he kind of had his he had his days and everything so you know I don't think that he got the attention of like what Flair did but man Dusty was over especially here in the Carolinas in the Mid-Atlantic and it was fun traveling with him it really was because the people just absolutely loved him what was it like and and his angles I mean he actually he, he took a little girl from Lubbock Texas and not only made her a star, he made her a legend because of the way wow. that he taught me, like, not to be Nicola, you know, to be baby right. doll, be, be more. And, and that not talking to people is sometimes better than letting everybody know everything. I agree. Um, and what was it like watching him cut a promo? Dusty Rhodes, I, I just think uh-huh. the art of cutting a promo isn't what it used to be. 
But Dusty Rhodes, I just said Dusty and Rick, and we'll talk about Rick in a second. Dusty Rhodes looks like he could just walk out there and just, he made you want to watch it. He made you want to cheer for him. And even with the matches with Tully, I mean, they were just, and you would be there. Dusty could cut a promo, and he made me want to just tune in to Starcade or whatever it was to watch it. And he was relatable because he didn't look like a, a, a goddess. He, had, he looked like a guy that would just, you know, Here's a guy that works a nine to five. He could just go to he could just go to an arena and just start a rust. He had an everyday look about him, but yet he had just a charisma that I think is un, unmatched even today. Well, you didn't know like with his promos whether it was going to be funny, right? And whether you need to listen for the punchline and like right. And it was hard for me not to laugh sometimes. And then, but when he got serious, and you knew that. Like he was talking about the cage match or he was, you know, like the bash or you knew it was serious. And you were like, oh, the other stuff is fake. This is real. We, we've got to watch it. So yes. it, it, it was just crazy. It, it was such an honor to work with people that were, were the best of the absolute best. And Dusty had it. I mean, Dusty was, uh, I was very fortunate that he took a shine to me. That's for sure. Absolutely. And now I want to talk about the other guys, the nature boy, Ric Flair. And we understand that his health is on the men now. And I'm glad to hear that. But this guy, most people will say that he's the, the, the greatest wrestler of all time. This guy, I mean, he just, when I first saw him, I wanted to punch him in the mouth. I'm like, who is this guy? I had never <laughs> seen him before. I'm like, who is this dude? But no one could pin his shoulders to the man. I'm like, why can't they beat this guy? This guy was just, he... He he lived that life. I mean, he he makes no mis- no bones about it. What was it like being around Ric Flair in front of the camera and behind the camera? Whatever you saw on TV, that's exactly <laughs> what it was off screen. From, that's what he said. We would get up. I, I would be down in the hotel lobby at five o'clock, five thirty in the morning. He'd already be down there with a tuna fish sandwich in one hand, a cup of coffee in the other. He'd be dancing around, talking to the uh, desk clerk, talking with the bellhops. A month later, he would remember all their names. He was really, wow. really, really good on, on like knowing people and, and knowing their names. And, and mm-hmm. even two and three months later, he'd come back and he'd, he'd know who the Skycap's name was. In wow. the year and a half that I worked with him, I never saw him sleep. I never saw him do drugs. He did. He, now he did drink a lot of beer and he did drink a lot of vodka and a gallons of coffee, but nothing else. <laughs> and wow. I swear that the guy, I never saw him sleep the whole time I was around him. And I'm trying to catch cat naps and trying to hide in rooms and put chairs <laughs> together so I can sleep. So I can drive 400 miles after the show. Mm-hmm. But he was just, Rick Flair is Rick Flair 24/7 365 days out of the year and that's what put him over that's what made him who he is we went shoe shopping there in Atlanta and he he ordered like four custom made pairs of shoes and yeah they were like $700 a pair mm-hmm. but he also bought socks that were $70 a piece who buys <laughs> socks that are $70 a pair I'm over there and I'm freaking out now. It's not even my money, but I'm going, oh my gosh, you know that, but that was him. And that's what put him over. Wow. 
So wow, that, it was crazy. he gave up his I'm, life I'm to entertain us. Alive. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. So he was not kidding when he said the shoes and the socks and the ties and the suits. That is that is fantastic. Baby doll is my guest. I was here. there. I would put my hand on a Bible and swear that I was there when he had four pairs of shoes that were being custom made. And he bought. And I know that was more than four pairs, but there was seventy dollars a pair for socks. And he bought more than four pairs while we were there. Oh, my God. Wow. You've got to be kidding me. Hey, being Ric Flair, I guess, <laughs> okay, I guess that comes with benefits. Wow, that that is that is awesome. Um, let me ask. We got a few a uh, few more questions. I would love to run by Baby Doll, the Perfect Ten. Um, you got to work with uh, another legend, Larry Zabisco. What was it like being with Larry Zabisco? Complete opposite. <laughs> Complete. Larry is so low key. So low profile. He just wanted to go back to the room. He was dating Kathy Gagne at the time, which is Greg, um, Vern Gagne's daughter, Greg Gagne's oh. sister. He was he was had a, he had a romance going with her, so he was just wanted to get back to the hotel, um, smoke a little bit, and and talk to her. So it was a complete one eighty from what I'd been used to. Wow, that that's something else. All right, we t- we teased a little bit earlier talking about kayfabe, so I want to get uh, Baby Doll's opinion on this. So now you know nowadays with social media, you know everybody's so quick to go to social media with comments and pictures and things of that nature. And kayfabe seems like it is a thing of the past. I know Sting talked about this before, and he just said there's really no such thing as kayfabe. Uh, during one of the WWE events, there was some, the, the Riot Squad was under the ring, and they were supposed to surprise somebody, and they did a they tweeted a picture of themselves under the ring. I'm like, you're not supposed to do that. What is your opinion on this? What is your what is your opinion on this kayfabe stuff? Well, the business <laughs> has changed. I'm not going to slide it because everybody knows. So you can't. It's more of I don't know. I don't know how to describe it now. Before it was all the mystery, and that right. yeah, people thought they knew, but they didn't know. And yes. even though I grew up in the business, and this is how strict kayfabe was, mm-hmm. whenever I called David Manning, I told him that I was pretty and smart. I had no idea what the word smart meant. Okay. I didn't know what smart meant until they actually gave me my first finish at the Joe Harry Coliseum in San Antonio, Texas, the Sunday before Labor Day, mm-hmm. when I was supposed to walk down to the ring, hit Stella in the head, beat her up in the aisle way, then go to the ring, and they had like five points on that ring where I had to be for different spots between like jumping up on the apron and grabbing Mike and then having Gino run over and then dropping down the whole thing. And it was pretty complicated. It was Ken Mantell and um, David Manning and mm. Gino, and I think Gary Hart might have been in, in, the, in, wow. the, in my dressing room, and mm. Mike, and they're all going over the finish. And Ken Mantell said, do you have it? Do you know what we want you to do? And I said, yeah, I'll walk through the crowd, look tall, and look like I could beat somebody up. And he said, that's exactly right. And they left. Well, when they left, I'm like, oh, my God, that's how they do it. They had mm-hmm. smartened me up. I had no idea. I had been in the business my whole life. I had seen thousands of wrestling matches. And until that moment, 
that's when kayfabe had been broken, and they never even knew that they smartened me up. And I didn't let them know that they smartened me up either. Wow. That that is that is that is so interesting. Uh, I have two minutes left, uh, and this hour went pretty quick. And I really appreciate you coming on. I want you to just give me a quick opinion on women's wrestling today. As I mentioned earlier, WWE's main event at WrestleMania was a women's main event match. What are your thoughts on the women's wrestling of today? I absolutely love it. My daughter Samantha Starr wrestles whenever she can. I think Tessa Blanchard is a star yes. in the making. She has uh, a future ahead of her that is, God, yes. is glorious. I have oh. no other words for it. Um, I fear every time that my daughter gets in the ring for the chances of, of, of her getting hurt. Right. But the girls today are phenomenal. And I, I, I'm, I feel kind of bad for them because I don't think that the female body is meant to take some of those high-risk moves over and over and over again. And I think that they're going to break way before their time, like before the guys, because the guys are just sturdier and stockier and their muscle mass is just different. I love Charlotte. I love how her mother just adores her and, and just, adores what her daughter is doing. I mean, Beth lights up every time I see her and she can talk about wow. it. Um, it. It's wonderful. And I, I think that the sky's the limit for the girls. And I love it that they're finally getting a push and finally getting the attention and the money that they deserve. I couldn't have said it better myself. Charlotte has, has really made her dad smile. And she, God, I would love to see a Charlotte and Tessa Blanchard match sometime, sometime down the aisle. But I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hope out for the best for that. Well, before they became what they are, you are a trailblazer. I mean that morning. You know, I really, really enjoyed your career. I really appreciate everything that you've given to the business. And uh, the perfect end, this was a perfect interview for me to do. Thank you so much for starting your starting your movement that you did not know you were doing. And thank you for being a part of mine today. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for remembering me. And, and thank you for everybody that out, that's out there that I'm a part of their home, whether it's in a DVD or an old VHS tape from like 1985, old wrestling magazines, old pictures. I cannot believe how many homes that I'm in. It, it's just mind-boggling to me, and, and you don't know how much it means to me. Y'all really don't know how much it means to me. Well, you mean a lot to us, and that's why I had you on the show. So thank you very much. It was an honor to interview you. Thank you all very much. Thank you for being part of my movement. You heard about her movement. Now go on and start you all. Have a good week. See you next week. Right. Be Thank you for joining us for The Movement. Your host, Shannon D. Hughes, invites you to tune in again for another edition next Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time. That's 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Trying to find a buyer for your home? Tired of paying fees and commissions? Need to get out of your home quickly with no fuss? Real market experts can help. 
Get a cash offer on your home today. Our nationwide network of investors will ensure you receive the best price for your home in Chicago and the Chicagoland area. Get started now. Call 1-800-SELL-NOW or 708-887-0795. You can also visit our website at realmarketexperts.com slash IL. Is your credit card processor for your business charging you high processing rates? Do you need an upgrade of your current credit card processing terminal and would like it for free? Let North American Bank Card lower those processing rates and qualify you for a free brand new credit card processing terminal. Call Shannon for a free statement analysis, 708-887-0795 or email Shannon at sdhughesenterprises at gmail.com. If your life needs some structure and direction, you may need a life coach. Interested? Contact Shannon at sdhughesenterprises at gmail.com for a free 30-minute consultation.